Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salat wa salam You're listening to Islam Tomorrow. We're broadcasting live right now today, all the way from here <laughs> in our studios in Alexandria. We're in Askandaria. No, that's not in Egypt, folks. That's right here in Virginia. Alhamdulillah, we're enjoying the month of Ramadan. We've been talking on the subject of drawing closer to Allah. Drawing closer to Allah or something in Arabic which is called Wasila. And I wanted to share with you that we have this on our website at uh, islamtomorrow.com. You can go there to our site. And uh, for those of you online with me right now, I'm posting that link. And you can just jump right in there and uh, click on that link. And you'll be able to read what I'm reading at the same time. You can also download our programs at islamtomorrow.com. You can print them out. You can email the links to other people. You can include the links in your emails to folks. Also, you can uh, make uh, uh, audio copies of this program. You can go to our website, Islam Yesterday, and then look for the programs that you like over there. There are a lot of them. They're audio and video programs, and you can go there and just download and and enjoy, inshallah. So let's get started on today's program. The truth about wasila, and that's getting close to Allah. And Allah tells us in the Quran, A'udhu Billahi Minashaitan Rajim, this is in chapter 5, verse 35, Al Maidah. Ya Yuladina Amanu Atakullah. O you who believe, keep your duty to Allah and seek means of nearness to Him, and strive hard in His way that you may be successful. A lot of the scholars and Mufassir have explained the Arabic word, which is wasila, as a method of getting closer to Allah by doing good deeds. And in the tafsir of Ibn Kathir, he writes that no Mufassir has disregarded the above meaning and all of them agree upon it. And moreover, in Sahih al-Bukhari, you'll find a hadith which is Allah speaking to us called Hadith Qudsi. explains that one gets closer to Allah, to Wasil, and is loved by Him when He offers what is obligatory on Him in Salat and what is the Sunnah in the Salah. And this is in the collection of Sahih Muslim. We come across a hadith narrated on the authority of uh, Rabia ibn Qab, uh, in which he said, I was with Rasul sallallahu one night. I brought him some water and, and he inquired that he had asked for. And he said to me, ask, meaning anything you want. I said, I ask for your company in paradise. And he, Islam, said, or anything else besides that. I said, that is all that I want. He said, then help me to achieve this for you by devoting yourself often to sajda or prostration. This means putting your head down on the ground, obviously in the salah. And it's repeated repeatedly stated in the Quran that along with accepting the belief, the faith in Islam, 
a person is expected to do good deeds. And they're called Amal Salihat, the deeds of righteousness. And from the above mentioned hadith, we know that the meaning of finding a wasila toward Allah is doing good deeds. In fact, the verse itself suggests a form of wasila. And uh, that is sabilillah. And that is the way of Allah, which is jihad. Talking about uh, struggling for the sake of Allah. Dua, or calling upon Allah, supplicating, is one of the most prestigious acts that you can do. That's why Rasul, sallallahu told us that calling on Allah is a prayer, and if we don't ask from Allah, then He will get angry with us. Look in the Quran and see this. And, and Allah is telling us in Surah Al-Mu'minun, uh, Ayah 60. Surah Al-Mu'minun, Ayah 60. And He says, And call, and, and your Lord says, Call on me, I will answer your prayer. But those who are too arrogant to serve me will surely find themselves in hell, in humiliation. When my servants ask you concerning me, I am indeed close. I listen to the prayer of everyone who prays to me and let them also, with a will, listen to my call and believe in me that they may walk in the right way. It's in the second surah, Surah Al-Baqarah, Ayah 186. Then if we look in the Quran and the Sahih Hadith, we find many supplications. The important thing about them is that they reflect a direct relationship between the one who's praying and Allah. There's no third person. There's no source involved between Allah and His servant. And no prophet of Allah, no pious person, and no prophet before the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. In any of their du'a, in any of their supplication, as the intercessor, while calling on Allah. None of them did that. If this is the case, then what permits anyone to use pious people or prophets as intercessors when they call on Allah? If we can't find the Prophet doing something, or any of his companions doing such a thing, then how do we do it? And then consider that this is something good. It's not good. In fact, this is deadly. Now there's some narrations which are commonly presented as evidence to imitate Osila regarding rank or status of a dead person. But the truth is that they're either not authentic or they're being misunderstood. Oh, I would like for you to read a, an article called Imitating Wasila regarding rank or status of a dead person for details of this. And it's on our website. But right now, let's continue. It's a big mistake calling on others instead of Allah. If anybody makes a dead person an intercessor for his supplication to Allah, then he is doing what? He is indulging himself in innovations. Bid'ah which could lead to shirk, which is uh, making partners of the law. And nowadays we find a lot of people calling upon the dead people 
and thinking that they have some ability to convey the message to Allah. Listen to some of the things that they say. Some people call on Jesus. And we know that there are a lot of people who do this. And yet they claim they believe in Allah. They believe in what Jesus taught, but yet they call on Jesus. Some people today call on Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi they say, Ya Rasul, Ya Rasul, I've seen it. I've seen it on bumper stickers, man, in an Arabic language. Ya Rasul, Ya Rasul. And then there are those who call on Ali, radiallahu anhu. Ya Ali, Ya Ali. So regardless of who they're calling on, if they're not calling on Allah, then what's the benefit? Because they're saying, Oh Allah, basically I don't want to confront you directly, I want to go through somebody else. A'udhu Billah. You think Allah is going to accept that? Oh man, I want you to think about that. They're making these people like intercessors, partners with Allah. And don't they feel that this is something horrible? Don't they fear Allah when Allah says that this is shirk? If anybody commits shirk, for sure Allah is not going to forgive it. They're going to go to hell forever. The mushrikeen in Mecca, these are polytheists. They have more than one God. They also had these sort of beliefs. Allah talks about this in the Quran. In Surah Yunus, look at it, see. And Allah said, And they serve besides Allah that which can neither harm them nor profit them, and they say, These are our intercessors with Allah. You say to them, Would you inform Allah of what He knows not in the heavens and the earth? SubhanAllah. Glory to Him, and supremely exalted is He above what they set up with Him and partners. Azumar, verse 3, Allah says, Now surely sincere obedience is due to Allah. Allah alone. And those who choose protectors beside Him say, We serve them only that they may bring us near to Allah. And for sure Allah will judge between them in that which they differ. Surely, surely Allah does not guide the one who is a liar and ungrateful. Look in Sahih Muslim. There's a hadith that clearly puts light on this subject. The subject of the faith of these polytheists of Mecca. Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhu. He reports that the Mushrikeen recited the Talbiyah. Now, the Talbiyah is something you recite during the Hajj or Umrah, you know, when you're going around the, the Kaaba. And as you're going around there, you're saying, Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik, Labbaik Allah, Sharika Lakul Labbaik, Inna Alhamd, Wa Nimata Lakul Mulk, La Sharika Lak. Yeah, it makes me want to go so much every time I think of this. The meaning of it is, here I am at your service, Labbaik. Here I am. There is no associate with you, la sharika lek. But, this is what the Mushrikeen added. Only one associated with you, you possess mastery over him, but he does not possess mastery over you. They used to say this and go around the Kaaba, that's the cube there in Mecca, in the Harum, 
because of their adding this statement to the Talbiyah, the Prophet ﷺ cursed them and said, Woe to them, because they have said, But one associate with you. You possess mastery over him, but he does not possess mastery over you. This is recorded in Sahih Muslim. So, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, he never made anybody a partner with him. He never did. So, how can people associate partners and intercessions with him? Some people argue that these verses are for idols and not human beings. So, the Mushrikeen used to worship idols and not human beings. Well, this is a very simple answer. Just open the most authentic book of Hadith, Sahih Bukhari. And you will find in the chapter of Tafsir, the idols worshipped in the time of Noah, or Noah, salam, peace be upon him, actually were reminders of the pious people before them. So they made these idols or statues. Second evidence provided by the conquest of Mecca. When the Prophet salam, took charge of the Kaaba, he threw away all the idols, they broke them up. And amongst them they found idols of the Prophet Ibrahim and Ismail. So these idols were reminders of human beings and the following verse of Quran makes it clear to understand this fact. And Allah says, it's in Surah Ar-Araf, uh, chapter 7, verse uh, 194. Those whom you call upon, beside Allah, are servants like yourself, so call on them, then let them answer you if you're truthful. And of course, this is, means that it's not going to work for you. It's not Allah giving us permission to call on them, obviously. He's showing you that they won't work, they're not going to answer you. Surah Al-Isra, chapter 17, verse 57, Allah says, Those whom they call upon desire for themselves, meaning, means of access to their Lord, as to which of them should be the nearest, and they hope for his mercy and fear his torment. Verily the torment of your Lord is something to be afraid of. So even the ones that you're calling on, they also are looking for a way to get closer to Allah. They're wanting wasila. No one merely worshipped an idol of wood or stone. Worshipping idols like Hindus do or fire worshippers like the Majusi, this is based on the fact that they used idols and fire as a source or a media through which to worship Allah. And it's a pity that many Muslims today have the same beliefs as these Hindus or fire worshippers. They think these dead or even some alive people will get them closer to Allah. Some say that God is in them and everything is God. Some say that Muhammad wasalam, can save them from Allah, but if Muhammad, peace be upon him, gets hold of anyone, then no one can help. These concepts of shirk or politism came only because the Quran was not read and understood properly. By looking up in the Quran, we can find that Allah decides to punish someone, then that person cannot be helped by anybody else. Even the prophets of Allah become helpless at that moment. And consider some of the stories in the Quran, and you see the prophets in their dilemma. The story of Noah, peace be upon him, Noah. It's his son that's going to die. He loves his son very much. And this is a perfect example because Noah sees his son drowning and he cries to Allah and he says, My Lord, surely my son is of my family and your promise is true and you are the most just of judges. But look what Allah said to him. Ya Nuh, 
O Noah. He is not of your family. He is the embodiment of unrighteous conduct. So do not ask of me that which you have no knowledge. I admonish you, lest you be of those who are the ignorant. This is Surah That's verse 45 and 46. An honest look at the above-mentioned Quranic verse perfectly explains that even the Rasul, Sallallahu the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, could not save uh, uh, his son. This is a Rasul. Noah is a Rasul, and he cannot save his own son. Although he's preaching the message of Allah for 950 years. In the Quran, Allah told Muhammad, Surely you cannot guide whom you love, but it's Allah who guides whom he pleases. He knows best those who walk straight. Moreover, uh, there's a hadith. This is in Sahih Bukhari. And in Sahih Muslim. So that means it'll be in Al-Lutlu wa Marjan, which is a combination of the two, wherever they come together, have the same hadith. You see that the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi he's advising his relatives to do good deeds. He told them that it was not possible for him to save them from Allah's anger. He specifically made it clear to his own daughter, Fatima, the one who was married to Ali, the one who had his two grandsons, May Allah be pleased with her. That he is not able to do anything for her once she's in front of Allah on the Day of Judgment. And he advised her to good de- do good deeds in order to save herself from Allah's wrath. Now these are examples from the best of the Sahih Hadith. Clearly explaining the true concept of wasila. The supplication of the Prophet was definitely a wasila for his companions. They used to come to him for their problems and ask him to pray for them. The Prophet used to pray for them and Allah solved their problems. But this was while he was what? It was alive. After he passed away, then the Sahabi, the companions, never went to his grave. They did not use him as the intercessor between Allah and themselves. And they were very clear that once someone dies, he breaks his ties with this world and is no longer aware of what's happening behind him. And that's why during uh, the need for rain, they needed rain after the death of Prophet Islam. The companions didn't go to his grave and they didn't ask him. They used to go to his uncle Abbas and ask him to ask Allah for the rain. Anas ibn Malik tells us, Whenever the drought threatened them, Omar ibn Khathab, uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him, he used to ask Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib to invoke Allah, make dua to Allah for the lace or the rain. And he used to say, Ya Allah, if we used to ask our Prophet Islam to invoke you for rain, and you would bless us with rain. Now we ask his uncle to invoke you for rain. Ya Allah, bless us with rain. And so then it would rain. And you can find this in Sayyid Bukhari. It's the chapter called Al-Istisqah. And it means to ask Allah for rain. You can also find this in uh, a book which is called The uh, uh, Fortification of the Muslim to 
the of uh, du'as, etc., in the Quran and the Sunnah. Uh, it's of great importance to notice. It's permissible for somebody to add, to request a living religious person, somebody you know, close to Allah, to make du'a on your behalf. But if you ask Allah through a dead person or an absent person, then that's not allowed because you're asking something that's that's not there. And for sure, we find in this hadith from Omar, Rilahono, it also prayed to Allah Himself. So praying to Allah by uh, oneself is also essential apart from requesting somebody else to pray on the behalf of somebody. It's obvious the companions of the Prophet peace be upon him, never went to his grave to solve their problems. That's because they were trained that right way. Now, the next hadith is taken from Sahih Muslim explains the teachings of the Prophet about the graves. And it's Aisha radiallahu anhu who reports, as the Messenger of Allah was about to breathe his last breath, he drew his sheet over his face and he felt uneasy. And then he uncovered his face and he said in this very condition, Let there be a curse on the Yahud wa Nasrani, the Jews and Christians that have taken the graves of their messengers as places of worship. And he had warned his followers against that. Meaning that Jesus, peace be upon him, had warned his followers. And that was talking about the time of the Jews and Christians. He was telling them not to do that. And Aisha says that the Prophet said during his illness, from which he never recovered, meaning before he died, Allah cursed the Jews and Christians because they had taken the graves of prophets as mosques. And Aisha reported, had it not been so, the Prophet grave would have been in an open place, but it could not be due to the fear that it may not be taken as uh, a mosque. And uh, subhanAllah, we find now even people today who when they go to the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, masjid the Nabawi in Medina, in Medina, you will find them doing exactly the same thing, trying to worship him or pray to him or ask him to do something. And of course we see this is forbidden. So, my dear respected brothers and sisters in Islam, call directly on Allah. Call on Him. Ask Him. Repent to Him without making somebody as an intercessor, without associating anybody with Him in worship. Allah knows what we have in our hearts. And surely He does listen to the people and He fulfills their needs. Now, as we mentioned earlier, there is an article imitating the wasila regarding rank or status of a dead person for research regarding narrations which are commonly presented as evidence to imitate wasila of dead people in supplications. That's also on our website. But in closing on this particular subject, I want to now share with you something. It's not mentioned in our article here, but I'd like for you to think about it. This is a very famous hadith 
of our Prophet Islam. This is this is used over and over so many times. It is mutawatir. There are more than one who narrate this hadith, and it is, uh, inshallah, it's a sahih hadith, and it says that the Prophet Islam said. Allah said something. So that means it's Hadith Qudsi. Allah says, I declare harb. I declare war on anybody who acts with hostility toward a friend of mine. My servant does not come closer to me with anything that is more beloved to me than the things which I have made obligatory on him to do. The Farida. And when he does come closer to me, meaning with his acts of sunnah after establishing the farida, then I will love him. And when I love him, I will become his grasp. It starts out by saying, when I love him, I will become his hearing, his sight, his grasp, and his step. And if he asks me for anything, I will give it to him. And if he seeks my protection, I'll protect him. And there is nothing which I detest more than taking his life, for he hates to die, and I dislike to disappoint him. This hadith has been explained in English by Dr. Abu Amina Bilal Phillips in one of his tapes. And I used to listen to that tape over and over and memorize from that because it had some very strong points that Sheikh Bilal was making about this. One of the strongest is about the fact that the person himself is drawing closer to Allah through this action. The action of what? Doing what Allah ordered you to do. First and foremost. Then beginning to perform the nafla the extra or supererogatory things. And the first and the foremost five pillars of Islam are the shahadatain, to bear witness to la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. And then to establish the salawat al-khams, the five daily prayers, on time and in the proper places. The men in the masajid, when, when it's possible for the man to go to the mosque, he should go. And for the women to take advantage of the highest level of reward that they get, which is in the privacy of their home, in their private room, in their private closet. And then for the Ramadan. And doing the Ramadan in sincerity and and with uh, uh, commitment to fasting for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the month of Ramadan. And then paying the zakah calculating carefully the amount of wealth that's been held for over a year and then paying faithfully the 2.5% that's due to the poor and making sure that they get it. And then the next thing is the hajj. And doing this hajj and all of the things, the manasik that go along with it, the rites and rituals that go with this hajj, and doing it sincerely for Allah, then this is in itself a very beautiful way to draw closer to Allah and certainly to be, uh, you know, like a newborn baby when it's over with, as the Prophet ﷺ has told us that, that the Hajj brings a person back home like a newborn baby. And he said that the Hajj Mabrur, accepted Hajj, is nothing less than Jannah. 
Certainly this is the closest thing you're going to ever do. When you go to Jannah, you're certainly going to get close to Allah there. That's one of the biggest, if not the most important thing about Jannah, is the fact you're going to be close to Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those deeds are very important. For those who say, well, you know, I'm a Muslim, but I don't do those things. I don't do this. I don't do so and so. Well, what is it you're doing? You just sit around and believe and you think that's going to do something for you? Huh. <laughs> well, you can sit there and believe that a seed will grow into a tree. And it will. And you can believe that that seed is going to grow to a tree and then the tree will sprout branches and the branches will have blossoms and the blossoms will turn into fruit and that the fruit will grow ripe and the fruit will be ready to eat and will nourish your body. But if you just sit there and keep saying, well, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it, but you don't do anything about it, you don't get up, what do you think is going to happen? You think the food is just going to fall off into your mouth? Is this what you think? <laughs> Yeah, right. So in the same same way, you have to realize that Islam is action. It's what you do, not just what you say. It's not just what you believe. It's not just what's in your mind or your heart. It's not what's in your mouth. It's what's in your actions, what's in your hand, what's in your feet, what's in your, you know, what you're doing. So this is why it's so important for us to get the, the farida, the, the obligation things down first. Then we begin to do the extra things. One of the extra types of uh, salah. Well, let's start with, we said the dhikr. The, the, uh, I mean the kalamat uh, tayyibah, which is to say, That's a big deal. We should do that. It's, a, it's, a rec- it's more than recommended. It's wajib. You have to do it. But then what, what should I say after I've said that? Well, then that comes the dhikr of Allah, reciting Quran, all these things you're doing, which you're using your mouth and your brain, just like when you did the shahada. But if you said the dhikr, but you didn't ever say the shahada, that wouldn't make sense, would it? person say, I don't want to say a shahada, wa la ilaha but I will say, alhamdulillah, I'll say Allah Akbar. <laughs> what is that? It doesn't make any sense. So, the same. Let's go to the salah. Somebody say, I want to get up in the middle of the night. The Prophet ﷺ used to get up every night and do the witr, the shafi witr, the qiyamul layl, the night prayers. But those aren't wajib. That's not an obligation. But he never left it. So those who want to draw closer to Allah, that's what they would do. They'll have their five daily prayers on time, the way they should be. Then they'll get up in the night and pray something extra. The taraway that we do during Ramadan. This is extra. There are a lot of people doing that, but they don't perform the regular prayers. So this is not balanced. This is not right. And then the zakah. We have people who want to give charity, but they don't want to pay zakah. That doesn't make sense. Pay what's due. Then pay the extra things. Then we have folks who talk about they want to do the hajj for somebody else. Well, you have to do it for yourself first. And then you can do it for somebody else on the next occasion. Or they want to do Omrah and they don't worry about doing hajj. And this also doesn't make sense. The Hajj is an obligation. The Umrah is not. Take care of your obligations first. Then do the Nafla, the extra things. Now, this is the way to get closer to Allah, through these extra things. But, of course, the obligatory things have to be in place first. Let's now look at another part. I'm, what I'm doing, basically, is showing you the Hadith in, in, by breaking it down. Because Allah said he declares war against the people who act with hostility to his friends. And then he says that his 
servants don't come closer to him with anything other than what's most beloved to him, which is what? What he ordered you to do. And that's what we're talking about. Then you want to get closer. After that's in, in place, then you begin to do these extra things. And that is what will bring you closer to Allah. And as you draw closer to Allah, he says, he will become your hearing. He will become your sight. And he will become your grasp. And he will become your step. And what is he talking about? And in this case, I think you can understand it pretty clear. I know it was pretty clear to me that you're not turning into a law. No, I've heard people say things like that, but this is this is nonsense. If you've studied the Quran at all, you know that that's not true. Allah is never in His creation. It's not like anything in the creation. But what He's saying here is He's going to guide your ears not to listen to the things that you shouldn't listen to and guide them to listen to things you should. Should you be sitting around listening to rap music or should you be listening to the Quran? And when it talks about looking at what? Should you be looking at uh, uh, what's haram or what's halal? Should a man be looking at a woman and should a woman be looking at a man in a bad way? No, they shouldn't. So this is telling you, but when it says Allah becomes your sight, He's guiding you. To be able to see the things that you should see that will draw you closer to Allah. And what about the grasp? What is this talking about? Well, a person can use their hand to do evil or good. They can use their hand to steal, for instance, or they can use it to give charity. And when it says becoming their step, there's another point. Think about this one. To go to a bad place or go to a good place. To go to a bar, for instance, then this would be bad. Or use those same legs and feet to go to where? To the masjid. So, uh, and obviously that would be much better for you. Or use your feet to go for Hajj or Omrah. And all of these things would be better for you. And then it continues in the Hadith and it's saying that whenever that person, this person who is now drawn closer to Allah through this wasila. Then Allah will answer their du'a. Now let's look at another hadith while we're talking about this subject. Uh, the, the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah said, and this is another hadith Qudsi, that Allah is talking about the one who is all dirty and disheveled, who is uh, coming up like out of the desert or something, like a traveler, you know, and he's uh, raising his hands to ask from Allah, but his his uh, food is not halal. His food is haram. His drink is haram. His clothes are haram. And his money is haram. And with all of this haram, then he's asking Allah, Allah, Allah. And Allah says, how am I going to answer his prayer? There's some points about this, by the way. The fact is, it says that he's a traveler. Now, one of the things we know from other hadith, from the Prophet ﷺ, peace be upon him, that a traveler's dua or prayer is accepted immediately. But yet Allah is saying, how can he answer this traveler's prayer when this traveler has not complied with some of the very, very basic things that he should be doing? And that's a good point. That's an excellent point for us to consider. How will Allah consider to take your dua, your petition, your request... When in fact your money is haram, meaning what? That you didn't come by your money in a halal way. Clothes are not halal, which 
could be a number of reasons. The money that you bought them with wasn't halal or you acquired them in a wrong way or they're not the right style of clothes. For instance, uh, a girl who's wearing clothes exposing her body or a man who's wearing clothes exposing his body in a way that's not legal in Islam. Or for the man, his clothes could be made out of silk. That's another way his clothes could be haram. And then when it talks about food or drink being haram, it could be that they're, what they're eating contains pork or alcohol or that the food that they came by uh, wasn't obtained in a legal way. So these are different things it could be. And then when it talks about that their du'a is not going to be accepted, it's because their actions are not halal actions. So here we have a very clear picture of what not to do. Don't do haram things and then think Allah is going to just accept your du'a anyway. And at the same time, the other hadith is clear, showing you what the halal things are that he wants done, which are the supplications directly to him, he wants you to do your fasting. He wants you to do your salah. He wants you to remember him in your du'as and remember him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in your daily life. Do your hajj, pay your zakat, do your charity. All these things, you know what to do and now you know what not to do. Don't do things that he's clearly made haram. And it's as simple as that. And the Prophet ﷺ said the haram is clear, the halal is clear. And in between them there are areas of doubt. And regarding the areas of doubt, leave it. So whatever makes you doubt, leave it for what does not make you doubt. And all of this together adds up to something very beautiful. And that is that Islam is simple and it's practical and it's for all times and all places and all people. And simply, if you want to get closer to Allah, then simply do what? Clean out your mind. Clean out your heart. Put the right things into your mind and your heart. And then put yourself in gear and get to work doing the things which please Allah. And stop doing the things which displease Allah. And then, obviously, if you make mistakes, and when we all will do that, we will. Then turn to Allah and repent to Him and ask Him alone to forgive you. And whoever calls directly upon Allah, making no par partners with Him in worship, Allah will answer their dua. And Allah will correct them and put them in the right way. So we ask Allah to correct us, put us in the right way, to guide us, to open our hearts, open our minds, put our feet on the straight paths of Shrat Mustaqim, and cause us of those people who will be close to Allah in the next life. Amen. We've been listening to Islam tomorrow. We've been broadcasting a live broadcast during the month of Ramadan right here on our own program on Chad Islam. Chadislam.com, one of our websites. And we ask you to come back and visit with us and recommend it to other folks. Share these links with people. Include them in all your emails so more and more people can know about the real Islam in simple English language. Until next time, this is your host Yusuf Estes saying, Assalamu alaikum. Rabbi Tulay, you.